the disciples came to Jesus Christ, and they had seen they'd seen the Pharisees and how they prayed, and they prayed with all majesty, with everything you know, calling out before the people, and they wanted praise for their prayers. And but the disciples had seen Christ pray, and it was different. It was like he was talking to his beloved dad, his beloved father. And that's how he starts out. And he teaches the disciples to pray. But he gives them not a specific prayer. You know, when I was in grade school, we would start the day with Pledge of Allegiance and the Lord's Prayer. You know, that was two things. You know, and we always recited the Lord's Prayer every day. Went to... Boy Scouts, and, you know, you pledge allegiance to the flag, and you say the Lord's Prayer. So it's ingrained in a lot of our minds, and a lot of how we think. But I want to take a look and see what Christ was teaching about the prayer, about praying. And let's look in verse, beginning in verse 9. And he says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's a pattern prayer. It starts off with honoring God for who He is. You know, the old English word hallowed has lost a lot of, you know, over the years, its meaning. But it's an attitude of honor, of praise, of adoration of who God is. And then He starts, then He teaches to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And as you think about this, what is God's will? This is open for discussion. What is God's will in heaven that we should desire that on this earth? What's that? His son be glorified, okay. Go ahead. In the heaven, when God wants something, He gets it that fast. There is no opposition, there is no argument, there is no discussion. So perhaps what that's being is implying also is make us just pliable so that what you want down here is instant, it's just it's without it's instantaneous. Yes. In without, without the hesitation, resistance, Jonah type. The uh, desire for the lack of humanity in our response to God's will. The thing that came to my mind is when Christ taught his disciples, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? The thing that came to my mind was that thought. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And the second is like unto it. To love thy neighbor as thyself. 
In today's world, do we see that taking place? Do we see that taking place in our own life? That we love God with all of our being. You know, God desires us to love Him as He loves us. And in that thought, He goes on to say, the second is likened to it. To love thy neighbor as thyself. When we walk and we work through this world and everything that coincides with our physical existence, are we enacting God's will through our life? Because through His commandment, He says to do these things. Is that possible in this physical world? Christ didn't say, if possible. He said, do it. So, in this prayer, He's teaching them to pray to God that we're able to walk in the light of God's will. And it's not that he's, okay, you know, pick this one out, he's going to be a preacher, this one's going to be a missionary. He's not talking about individual wills. He's talking about the overall corporate will of us as Christians to follow God's will. And in doing that, how do we react to others around us? Do we love someone enough to love them to Christ? No matter how they're treating us? Do we love someone enough to deal with the hordes of their life? You know, sometimes we come in contact with people that they're difficult to love. They're difficult to be thinking of as we pray that God would place in us His will to be interactive with them and to love them to Jesus Christ. And he goes on to teach, and tonight I'm going to try and watch the clock a little better. He goes on to teach that, give us this day our daily bread. You know, depend on God for our needs, right? What needs do we have every day? What's that? Air to breathe. He created the earth for us. What's that? Rain. Rain. <laughs> What's some of the daily needs that we have? You know, he says our bread. But in reality, what, what is the overall needs that we have? And are we depending on God for that? Are we depending on ourselves? Are we depending on, you know, being able to run to the grocery store and get our, you know, favorite foods and favorite box of sweet cereal and all the stuff that you can go to the Are we depending on God for it? And do we realize that that comes from God? You know, when he's teaching his disciples to pray and he's teaching us to pray, he's giving us a change in a paradigm of life. He's not, you know, it's, he's changing how we view things. And we need to realize that as simple as these words may be, but they have deep meaning in our everyday life to rely on God. You know, all my life I've gotten up, 
And every time that we sit down for a meal, you know, I was raised in a home that we sat down, we prayed at each meal. Thank the Lord for our food. And, but is that just a rote prayer that we say? Or is it meaning from the heart? Sometimes we're just so hungry we'd want to get it over with and get on to eat, right? But we need to realize we're dependent on God. And the next verse is verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. How does that work? He explains that a little further in verse 14. For if you forgive men of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, I had relatives growing up that they were real good at holding grudges. They could remember when, you know, their sister pulled the head off their doll baby and, you know, and things like that. And sometimes we hold those things against people. And it's not ever an attitude of forgiveness. Oh, we can say, oh, yeah, I forgive you. Do we really mean it? And if we haven't, Christ is teaching here. If we can't forgive others, then he can't forgive our transgressions. So if we're having problems, you know, a lot of times, you know, in our life, things enter in and we realize that, you know, we have a broken relationship with God. That we're, we're not as close as we used to be. And we pray for forgiveness. We ask, we beg for forgiveness of this. But it always seems to be, you know, something we're constantly dealing with. But we've got these little unforgiven transgressions against others hidden in our back pocket that we're willing to pull out all the time and say, well, look what they did to me. Look how they treated me. We need to be willing. As God forgives us, we have also had the responsibility to forgive others of the things that they have done to us. That's an important concept in our Christian walk. You want to see God work in your life? Offer true forgiveness to those around you. Brother that may have offended you. A sister that may have pulled the head off your baby doll. The brother who was a little over rambunctious and rough with you and, you know, Always like to punch you in the arm and leave bruises or something. Have you truly forgiven them? Have you gone to God and just said, Okay, good Lord, take it. It's yours. And never bring it up again. This, these are things God was teaching a different way to walk. And I thought it was interesting that as Christ taught his disciples, he plucked that verse out. And expounded on it in verse 14 and 15. Why would Christ do that? What's that? Yeah. 
Stephen? You think maybe the disciples were having a little bit of problem with this? And he knew it? Kevin? What's that? Yes. It, right. But it takes a lot of effort on our part to forgive others, doesn't it? In light of the fact that we are to forgive them as Christ, God, forgives us. That's a hard walk sometimes. Because when God forgives, uh, forgives us, what, how does he forgive us? Psalmist says he removes it for as far as from the east as to the west. You know, he casts it into the deepest sea. What are our hearts? Are we forgiving those that wrong us in this life and in this walk in that way? Well, that when I was studying through that and that pricked me pretty good. Because, you know, kids in the neighborhood that, you know, you didn't exactly like because they did this or they did that to you. And can you forgive them? Have you forgiven them? You know, it's dealing with those things. I think that is one of the most difficult things that we have to do. We can say we love God, but can we say that we have truly forgiven others as Christ forgave us, as he forgives our transgressions? And he goes on in verse 14, and he says, For if you forgive men their transgressions, or I'm sorry, verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Does God lead us into temptation? Yeah, I know. Yeah. He permits it. Christ was tempted. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a temptation. And it's not necessarily as I'm doing something evil, so I'm going to have you choose to do something Well, I go to the book of Job. And I think about Job, and here's Job, and he's living a righteous life. He's honoring God with his life. And. Satan comes to the throne room of God. And he says, God says to him, Have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man. He's an upright man. He walks after my ways. And Satan says, But that's because you protect him. If you took your hand of protection off of him, then 
you know, he wouldn't do such. And God says to Satan, okay, have your way, but don't kill him. Don't harm him physically. So he loses his children. He loses his livestock. Loses his livelihood. All in a day. A matter of hours. Things change drastically for Job. But for Satan to be able to do any more to Job, he had to come before God and say, Oh yeah, but you won't let me touch his life. You won't let me, you know, give him sores. But then it says that God afflicted these things upon him. An interesting thought. God allows things to enter into our life not to harm us, but to make us closer to him. Throughout those circumstances in Job's life, and when his friends come to him, when his wife comes to him and says, curse God and die. He had the opportunity, but he didn't take it. He had the temptation to do these things. So God permitted those things into Job's life, and it strengthened him. And at the end of the results, God honored Job, and he honored his faithfulness. Sometimes temptations come into our life by Satan, but they're always permitted by God. And they're permitted by God to make us stronger. That He has given us everything we need to resist temptation. He has given us, and you can read through the armor of God and how that applies to our lives and how we need to put that on. And in doing so, then we are protected from whom? The fiery darts of Satan. You know. So if if you want to, you know, looking through the teaching of the prayer, God gives us very, very good ways and means of walking with Him. And to pray through that. So it's not just a a written prayer that we need to recite. Sometimes, you know, the recitation of this prayer becomes mundane in our minds. But looking at it from a perspective of what Christ was teaching his disciples to honor God, to pray for the will of God to be effective in this world, for our daily needs for forgiveness and removal of temptation. And all of those things are necessary in our daily walk with Jesus Christ. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, if we followed the prayer and prayed about the things as they come into our life, then our life would be different and we would be more in tune with God's will rather than the world's will. Yeah. So in closing, I want, to, want us to think about these things. As we go into prayer, you know, in verse 7, I think that I find myself following this pattern that 
Christ says not to do. In verse 7 and 8, he says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. How many of us dads, you know, you take a look at your kid's life and you know what they need, but you're waiting for them to ask. Dads do that. Because they want to be asked. Husbands do that. Wives do that. We all do that. But look, we don't like repetition. You know, the when, it, when I read this, I thought of, you know, the kid in the grocery store that's begging for the lollipop or candy or whatever, and they're just, Mom, give me this. Mom, give me that. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And that repetition <laughs> doesn't get them anywhere, but it sure aggravates us as humans. How are we approaching God? Let's approach Him in those ways that are honoring God, that we honor Him as He is hallowed, He is holy. Pray that the will of God be done here. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive others as He has forgiven us. And ask God to remove us from temptation. And I think that our prayer life will change as the disciples' prayer life's changed. In this simple prayer of God that Christ modeled to his disciples.